Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. On today's episode, I'm joined by Aleem Khan, a British writer and director who's been BAFTA nominated. We get to sit down and talk all about his brand new film, After Love. One of the most beautiful directed films you will see this year. It is absolutely outstanding from start to finish. And honestly, the interview is magnificent and I can't wait for you to listen in only a few moments time. But in true typical Mark Me fashion, it's been absolutely manic recently. So I only released an episode yesterday and it was with the amazing band Red Fang. Absolutely awesome interview, so much energy, and it's really hard to engage and see how much response it's had so far because it only came out 24 hours ago. But I've seen a lot of people checking out the new album and already tweeting me saying that they're loving it. So go and listen to Arrows right now. But let's get back to today's episode. I'm joined by the amazing director, Aleem Khan. I believe he has such a huge career ahead of him and I think we should get straight to the interview. So here's me and Aleem talking all things film. So, Aleem, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your support. What I want to do today is for the listeners out there that might be discovering your work for the first time or want to get to know a bit more about you. Let's take it right back to the very start. So maybe when you were growing up as a child, can you tell me about those early films you maybe watched in school or as part of a family where you kind of started to realise that you were loving movies and what was in front of you on screen? Hmm, really good question. For me, I think one of the first films that I saw, not, not one of the first films that I saw, but one of the first films that really connected with my experience was actually seeing East is East. And I saw that with my parents and my whole family in the living room at the same time. And it was a very powerful experience because we really, really saw ourselves on screen. I mean, my mum's white, my dad's Pakistani, um, mixed race kids the experience that those characters were kind of grappling with were different, but also very similar to our, to our own. And yep. there was something very disconcerting about it in a way. We all felt quite um, revealed because um, it, it was showing us on, on, on this screen. So that was, that's a very special film for me. Um, I love that. But I think it was really when I went to, when I was a bit older, and it was when I saw films like The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and His Lover by Peter Greenaway and yeah. um, The Crying Game and f- films that really, I think, politicized me in a way. Like films that kind of, I don't know, there was such an ex- experimental way of, of dealing with politics in The Cook that really switched me on in a different way. Um, and I guess made me realize how film is a real kind of communicator um, and a way to express something and something that is perhaps more nuanced or maybe even more overt. It was just another way of really expressing oneself. So yeah, those, those were early films. The thing that really changed things for me at university was when I saw um, The Battle of Algiers yeah. by Gile Pontecorvo. And I remember coming out of the auditorium and it was almost like an out-of-body thing. I could see myself reacting to how that, film affected me and I think that was the moment that I realized yeah this is really why I'm here in a way this is really what I want to do I want to make films that re- that can do that you know that can reach people in that way so so you said you were 
this was during university. Were you studying film at university or was it a completely different subject? I studied film at university. Yeah. I went to Westminster and did a film degree there. Um, but I didn't really start making films until I left. Yeah. Um, and obviously I had, you know, part-time, I had full-time jobs and stuff like that, but I made shorts and stuff um, in my own time. So did, did your family kind of approve of that? Because for some people going off to university and saying they're going to become a musician or a filmmaker, some parents are like, oh, can you do a proper degree and then hopefully do that as a hobby? Or were your family very supportive from day one? They were supportive, you know. I, I don't think they understood no. what it is. That I, I, even now, I don't think they know really what it is that I do. But no. they were supportive. And I think that that comes from them not having had opportunities. Yeah. You know, my dad's a car mechanic. My mum's a housewife. They've you know, they've worked harder than anyone I know and they came from nothing. And so I think for the blessing and the great thing, I guess, was they wanted their kids to kind of do the things that made them happy. And um, of course, my dad would have loved it if I turned around and said, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer because there's security in that, you yeah. know, or supposed to security. But um, he was really, they were both really supportive of me. That's really good. Yeah. So then you started, you just said, after university, making shorts, and you've done stuff like Diana, uh, The Wayfaring Stranger, and stuff like that. Now, these small shorts, I've found that with most directors I'm speaking to, especially over the last couple of years with this podcast, everyone is either doing a short or a music video, and then taking that massive jump into a full feature. Now, looking at the dates for you, you sort of spent 10 years doing a few different shorts over time. How did you find yourself then getting this opportunity for After Love and taking that huge step, you know, writing, directing, producing? It's a lot, isn't it, to take those fundamental things of filmmaking as a short and then putting it on a scale of nearly a, a two hour film. You know, it's, it's a big, big jump and a lot of a lot of ask for yourself personally. It's a, it's a big jump in the sense that um, there are more voices in the room. Yeah. There's more money you know, bigger responsibilities. I guess the fall is is bigger. But yeah. in many ways, honestly, from a kind of development point of view, it's quite similar to, yeah. in the sense that when I, you know, when I make my short, I mean, the short films that I've made have all been very personal short films. I've been saying something about myself through those films um, too. And the approach has always been the same um and the kind of the duty of care and kind of the the time okay not the same amount of time because I spent six years writing after love but on my shorts I took a long time to write those too um so as a process you're still kind of going through the same things it's just on a feature the variables are just much greater um but but it is a big jump but I think this is the thing about shorts is it's where you kind of get to fuck up it's where you kind of you know, not all of my shorts have been well received or some of them, one of them didn't even play anywhere really, you know, so, um, but some of them did do well. So you received a BAFTA nomination. You can be, you can be modest and say, you know, wow. But that, but I get, and so, you know, Three Brothers really was a real turning point for me because yeah. that, that put me in the eye line of the gatekeepers that kind of essentially kind of, financial films and so you know I was really lucky to be supported by Film London and and the BFI on that short and um, and the Bureau produced that as well who produced After Love and 
you know, obviously never expecting that kind of um, that kind of success with it. But it, it, what it did for me was allowed me to kind of make after love in a way. Like it allowed me to, yeah, to be in their eye line to get that to get that kind of development money to start writing. That's amazing. And did you feel pressure? Because obviously when you've got that budget from someone else and it isn't a short and it's on a big scale, did you feel the pressure because of people investing in your film or was it just all part of your challenge mentally? Were you, were you comfortable and confident enough in your own ability to know that you were going to deliver? I don't think you ever think that, I don't think we ever think we're ever delivering actually. I feel like, I, well, I can't speak for other people. You always feel like, oh, I could have done more. I could do more. I can do more. Yeah. I can say more. Um, I believed in the story. I knew that I was saying something. This is the thing, like, I wanted to say something for myself. Like I wanted to explore something for myself. And I think there's an inherent kind of truth in that, you know, when you're doing something you're, you're, you're and you're authentically exploring something deep. Yeah. For you. And I think even though it's very specific, there's there's a real kind of truth and specificity because I think it just kind of has this thing that it just, there's a, there's a kind of connective tissue to it that people just kind of see as being real. Um, I, it was such a long gestation period because I was writing the film over six years. It's like eight years now since I first started. So it's been a very long journey. I think one of the hardest parts for me was the writing process because it took so long and it was such a kind of um, a deeper exploration into my own kind of history of growing up in a kind of mixed race family, kind of looking at real experiences that have happened in my life. And the writing process in a way kind of throws up kind of undigested kind of tra trauma or undigested kind of issues or things that you've experienced. And then it kind of vomits itself out and, and then you're able to kind of look at it and be like oh okay that's kind of something that I wasn't expecting and then you kind of recalibrate what that means and how that maybe negative or painful thing that was in you can actually find a kind of a purpose yeah you know and, and you said a couple of times that obviously the writing process was quite a long one. I mean, six years, you know, to to get this from starting point to and a fresh idea with brainstorming to it being complete. What was the major big delays? I know you said you've touched base on it. a lot of it was very close to home and stuff you'd experienced. But what was the thing that delayed it becoming a reality and being greenlit? Was it the funding and investment or was it different ideas changing? What was it that made this such a long project? I don't, I don't see it as a kind of delay, actually. Uh -huh. It's just the process. Yeah. Like, and actually making feature films, I think like the average year, the average kind of journey is about seven years. So yeah. it's a long time, but it, it there was no delay because of anything. It's just the way it went, the way it needed to be, actually. We were very lucky that, um, you know, I got to take the project to the Sundance Institute labs, um, the writers and directors labs there. And that was really um, informative and really helped structure the work and kind of propel it forward. And that also kind of gave me a lot of confidence that I was writing something that had value that people yeah. were connecting to. And I think that also kind of encourages the financiers that, you know, well-respected, really smart, intelligent people who care about film like they do are kind of digging it as well. Um, and it went through a whole process and it just kind of fine-tuned itself. 
like the writing process is just a process of kind of fine tuning and fine tuning and getting deeper to the heart of something that you're trying to kind of say. So it was a long time, but actually I look back on it as a kind of, it needed to be that time. You needed to take the time it took. Going into this, obviously you talked about the films that shaped your passion for film and what I've noticed and when I've read about directors, people like Quentin Tarantino and um, Christopher Nolan and the big film directors in the industry, they've always kind of done some research when going into a certain film. So they've watched a certain genre or they've watched a, a certain director's films, not to influence, but just to gain experience or to kind of get themselves captivated in that world of what they're trying to create. So when you went into making After Love, was there a certain genre or a director's films, or even if you were taking influence, were you watching a certain amount of films just to kind of help create more ideas for yourself or how you want it to look or your style, or were you just kind of trying to do your own thing? Yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, I didn't watch films to kind of um, help me know what I wanted to do with the story because I guess the story the material for the story is really kind of coming from my own family and and my own experiences and actually a lot of my a lot of time I was actually just watching home movies and reminiscing on past past things in my family I mean we lost my sister died when I was a kid and there was a lot there was like looking at old photographs and so looking at kind of self-made like you know photographs and and I think watching home movies because I found them I found a whole tranche of them that my dad just had lost and then I had, had them digitized and it was amazing finding this treasure trove of like my history so that yeah. that that I kind of looked at that I mean in terms of like films and stuff of course there were films that um I watched again and again but uh, I, I actually so one of, I guess one of the a good reference was um LM Klimov's Come and See yeah um, which is one of my favorite very, films very bleak film <laughs> it's a very bleak film um but it's just exceptional but what i loved about that film was the sound design. i mean i love everything about the film but the yeah. sound design and and was so incredible because it was such an expression of the character's internal kind of world yeah and that, that was an influence in, in how sonically I wanted to kind of explore um, explore the sound design and, and kind of use that to kind of, I guess, present Mary's kind of sonic consciousness out, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes um, I mean, initially I didn't want to use any score. I wanted to just rely and use the, the sound design to deal with the communication. But um, during the edit, it became clear that finding a very kind of subtle um, music in the film would actually add another layer to Mary's kind of um, expression. And I worked with a wonderful composer called Chris Rowe and the sound designer was Joachim Sonderstrom, who's a wonderful, wonderful guy as well, a talented guy as well. So together we worked very closely on the sound design. Other films, I mean, I've always loved like um, Fassbinder and actually Three Colors Blue, um, yeah was a film that I watched again and again. Um, and Francois Ozon's um, Under the Sand was a really, um, was a film that I watched again and again. But I, did, I didn't watch these films as kind of like, oh, kind of help me yeah. create a framework. I think, I think that happens more when you're making shorts in a way. I think it's like, you know, you, your references are more kind of underlined and more overt in your shorts. Um, 
I think I actually kind of try to reject, if I see something that's really amazing and that might work, I try actually to, to reject it because it doesn't, it feels, it's almost like a shadow. It's almost yeah. like an echo of something. I, I'd rather kind of find my own language. But of course, we're always inspired and influenced by everything that we come into contact with. And one of my final questions for you today is a lot of people that listen to the podcast are filmmakers or like yourself going to film school or at university studying. And it's a real difficult world to break through in. And I know we have all these new social media channels to get your work seen on YouTube and Instagram and all this. But as a filmmaker, what advice do you give to upcoming filmmakers that want to be like yourself, create shorts or create a film and kind of make their way in an industry and make a name for themselves to try and get their work seen? Hmm, it's a really good question. I think ultimately you have to listen to your own voice. You have to, there's no point saying like, yeah, you know, I actually hate it when filmmakers, you know, like it's so easy to make films now. You can make a film on a iPhone. Well, if that film happens to be shit, always yeah. really crap or you know or just like really you know inauthentic or not truthful in any way then no one's going to see it I think what I don't know for me voice is the most important thing it's the only thing that you've got actually um that is yours so I think you I think it's about developing your own voice and the confidence in your voice and the confidence in what you've got to say is is valuable and um has something to say so yeah it's and that, and that's actually a real challenge because yeah. that's that means being vulnerable that means putting yourself you know yeah put your put yourself in your films and actually make yourself the audience make yourself the audience when you're writing because if you're writing for yourself and you're writing the kind of film that you want to see then your voice is inherently in there that would be my advice I've asked that to everybody and you know what your advice today is incredible it's just like touch something inside I'm like Christ that's a really good way to put it everyone's got a different answer but like to put yourself in the audience and stuff I don't think people in the process of filmmaking will even have the time or capability to take that option and remind themselves to step back because they're so absorbed in that moment and all the pressure and answering for everyone I think it's important to kind of reflect and be able to switch off and take that other seat sometimes, which is so difficult to do, even though it should be so easy. It's that writing stage, really. Yeah. That's where, you know, that's where you need to, I mean, you need to be in everything. <clears throat> you know, you need to be in every single facet of your film, how it looks, how it sounds. But yeah, focus on the script, work and write your own scripts. Yeah. If you can, like that's the other advice is give as much attention to the sound and to the sound design that you give to the picture because it's the other half of the experience. And actually, I probably, when I'm writing and when I'm making the film and when I'm editing, I'm actually more obsessive about the sound in a weird way because so much information, so much emotion is kind of uh, communicated through that. And I feel that sound often gets kind of overlooked or it's the kind of, oh, we haven't got time. And the sound recorders is like, they're dying. Cause it's like, come on, you know, you'd always give your cinematographer that extra take. You need to give your sound recordist um, that extra take too, because it's, it's the other half of the picture. Amazing. 
And my final question for today, and I'm going to put you on the spot like I do to everyone that comes on the Mark and Me podcast, but the outro music to the podcast is chosen by the guest. Uh, it can be a piece of music, a piece from a film score, a band that you like, or just a song that you grew up with that's personal to you. Now, I'm not going to give you too long to think about it, but I want to know what would be your episode, outro piece of music that follows our interview that sums you up or that would mean a lot to you personally. Well, that's actually a very easy question, a very easy question to answer for me right now. And it would absolutely, absolutely be the Cliffs soundtrack. Uh, the Cliffs track from After Love that yeah. was composed by Chris Rowe. It's an incredibly beautiful, evocative piece of music that um, and when you and I hope you people listening watch the film. Yeah you'll see how it builds, um, how the score develops in the film. And this piece of music that we end with really encapsulates really the essence, the real essence of what this film's about. And um, I listen to it all the time, it's beautiful. And I hope that you'll play it. Amazing. I wanna thank you for your time today. I know you've got a lot of press ahead, but um, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I'm really excited for people to check the film out and then see the comments on social media and all the feedback. But um, yeah, good luck with the rest of today's interviews and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us and thank you for your support. Appreciate it. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Aleem. A really great guy, really easy to talk to. I think he gave some amazing advice about anyone that's looking to get into the industry. And honestly, I urge you all to go and check out After Love, which is at the cinemas right now. It's an amazingly, beautifully made film and honestly will break your heart. It is absolutely stunning. An emotional film that will stay with you for some time. Please, if you go and check the film out, tweet me, Facebook me and Instagram me. I love seeing the people's responses that then go and check out films or albums or books from the podcast. It's the ultimate compliment. I want to say a massive, huge thank you for Aileen for coming on the show and talking all about film. As I said at the start of today's interview, he has such a huge career ahead of him. He's still young and I can't wait to see where it goes. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode. But until then, all I ask is you to share the episode. Jump on markandme.com. On there, there's links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. It costs absolutely nothing to share it amongst your network and does huge, huge things for Mark and me. It can bring a whole new audience and that is priceless. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, please jump on markandme.com because also on there, there's my links to my Patreon page. I'm getting more and more people signing up and all that money that comes in, which is as little as a pound a month, will go straight back into the podcast. For that, you're getting at least two episodes a week at the moment. Also, some absolutely incredible prizes from the amazing guys at Vice Press and some incredible badges that I've recently have made. And honestly, they're exclusive right now to Patreons only. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the episode today. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'll be back in only a few days' time with another brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all soon.